as a YouTuber. <laughs> um, what is up? Welcome to another episode of Bedrock Thoughts, where we talk about everything and anything under the stars. And I'm your host, Anping. Weather lately has been delicious. Like, sunny with wind, it's cool, it's not too hot, you feel the sun on your face, and then you also have a cool breeze, and it's, I'm thriving. This is my type of weather. Quite excited about today's episode because I've been reading a lot, and my reading journey has been kind of interesting because when I was younger, I really loved reading, and I think especially those summer days where it's too hot to go outside and especially when um there were times when i was moving houses there's like a very distinct memory that i remember my parents were painting the walls and i was in the living room in a different room they were painting the kitchen and i was in the living room and they um, had already taken me to the library. And so I kind of had my stack of books. And while they're painting, I was just reading on the living room floor. And it was just a great vibe. Like I have, you know, these images in my head, these like memories. And I remember like the smell of paint and also the varnish on the wood. And eating um Chex Mix like out of this huge Costco sized box of like packs of Chex Mix that we bought plus um like Lipton green tea in the bottles because that's what we had and yeah I just like that was such a good time of me like just reading and I remember reading like almost like a book a day and especially because my mom figured that I wouldn't have anything to do and so she signed me up for the summer reading program at the libraries if any of y'all did that it was so fun because all you had to do was um, you had this like piece of paper it was kind of like a map and you'd basically take it around to different libraries kind of around your city and you get them stamped and also for every book you read you also get it stamped and then you know, after so many stamps, you get coupons to like go get free food. You can get prizes. And so I did those like religiously for many, many years when I was younger. And unfortunately, as it, the story always goes, um, school kind of ramped up and then it turned into assigned readings, which I do understand right? Like I understand, you know, assigning books so you can make sure that all your students are kind of on the same page. I get trying to make your students read like the classics, but it kind of sucked the fun out of reading for me because I wasn't able to choose my own books. And then, you know, for every reading you had to discuss it in class and you had to do it for grades and points and assignments and write papers. And I was just so over it. And just reading just became so boring. It was so unenjoyable and I didn't have a lot of fun doing it after that. Of course, college, you know, I turned to STEM. If you didn't know, um, for all my non-STEM girlies out there, if you didn't know that there 
is a method to how you should read research papers, what I usually do is I read the abstract to get like an overall view of the paper. And then I read the introduction in case, you know, the paper is talking about something that I'm not familiar with. So I can familiarize myself with the terms. And then I read the results in the discussion because I want to know what the answers are. I want to know what they came up with. And then if I have questions, I go back and read through the materials and methods. But also, you want to look at the figures beforehand and try to understand the figures, the axes on the graphs. So yeah, that's my little tangent. But research papers are not very fun. They're very dense. There's a lot of information. And for me, as someone who may or may not have ADHD, we don't know. I just like cannot sit myself down and read a ton of papers. And it takes me quite a while. I have to either be highlighting things or like writing notes. And most of the time I'll like read through a paragraph and then I'll have to go back and reread it again because I didn't pick up anything. And I'll probably do that maybe two or three times. And I do that for probably like every other paragraph. So that's why it takes me a while to read. And I really thought that I just like couldn't read. I thought I was like low-key illiterate because I was like, there's no way that everyone else is also reading a paper in chunks and two or three times in order to get the same amount of information. I was like, this is ridiculous. So yeah, I thought that I couldn't read and I also hated reading during school. So, but you know, we've kind of turned it around and I read, you know, bell hooks and that kind of got me started back into my little reading phase. So here I am reading again, lots of books, many, many books, and it's been quite enjoyable, actually. I've been learning a lot. I can't say that I enjoy fictional books all that much. I seem to want to like gain something out of the book and it seems like like autobiographies and like psychology books, like those seem to really grab my attention and I have a lot of fun like taking notes and like thinking through them. But this one book has been my standout fiction book and it is called The Unbearable Lightness of Being and it's by Milan Kundera, who is a Czech author. It was written in 1984, so quite a while, but it was highly recommended in kind of my search for existential books. I've been kind of going through that existential phase, trying to figure out how I want to navigate the world. This book, the title really stuck out to me, but I'll give you kind of an overview of the book and I don't want to spoil a lot, but there's also not a lot to spoil. You'll see what I mean. If you ever get the chance to read the book, highly recommend it. 
I've heard for some people that it takes maybe two or three times of reading it to kind of get more out of it. Let's get into it. So the setting is in Prague in the late 60s and early 70s. And this was kind of, the book kind of spans over before, during, and after the Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia. The characters are two women, two men, and a dog. And the book kind of switches between their points of views. And in some way, all the characters are connected, but two mainly are very, very connected. Before I get into the characters, yeah, I think it's really, it was really interesting that it was written in each of their points of views, and especially in moments where they're together and interacting with each other. It's interesting to see how different their perspectives are of each other and of themselves. The premise of the book, it challenges a concept called eternal recurrence. And this was a concept that was coined by, oh man, I'm going to butcher this name, but Nietzsche? Nietzsche, I think. And basically, eternal recurrence is if your life were to occur eternally, would you make the same choices? So let me explain it a different way. So basically, eternal recurrence is the perspective that you should be making decisions that you would be pleased with if your life were to, you know, kind of forever be recurring. Has anyone watched Attack on Titan? Because <laughs> I just binged through like the final season. So in the final season of Attack on Titan, I think this is a question that really pops up. And they also kind of discuss this like concept of if your life were to, if you were to die and your life were to start again and again and again, and it keeps doing that, would you still make the same choices? Anyways, I'm slowly becoming one of those people who like doesn't really go outside and just watches anime, but I mostly do that at night. I like give myself outdoors and then I watch anime at night. <laughs> There's also no internet at my grandma's house. And so I applied for a library card. And then from that, I just like go to the library and use internet. And so I'll bring all of my devices and then I will download podcasts, download music, download Netflix shows. And then unfortunately, because I've become such a homebody now, I like, I just watch Netflix all the time. Anyways, eternal recurrence. <laughs> My question to the concept of eternal recurrence is, does life actually occur that way? Like, I feel like it's a very interesting way to look at life, especially when, you know, I think the usual sentiment is you only live once and there's no way that your life as you are now is going to reoccur as you are. So I, I think that's a very interesting concept, but I see the benefits of thinking that way because it seems like it would kind of push people in that like morally righteous direction. Another theme of the book is freedom. And so 
I mean, take a second, think about what image you see when you think about being free. For me, I think of a bird, especially when a bird when it's flying with its wings outstretched and it's just kind of soaring through the air, gliding. The feathers of a bird um, on their wings, are, the feathers are light, right? They have to be light in order for the bird to fly. And so I very much equate freedom with kind of lightness, like the lightness of a feather and how a feather kind of is able to drift in the wind. So that's kind of my image. But the title is very interesting of this book because it feels like it's mashing two antonyms or like opposites together because the words unbearable and lightness is very... It's a very interesting combination. So how can something be light but also unbearable? For me, unbearable involves weight. If something is unbearable, it's like I'm carrying my backpack and it's so heavy and it's so unbearable. That's kind of what I think. So in the same way, I also think about burdens that way, like traumas or past experiences like those are burdens or maybe even like responsibilities that you want to escape so carrying these burdens on our backs can feel unbearable now finally we can dive into the characters there's four characters but i will probably only discuss three and it's only because the fourth character i don't quite understand his role but So one of the main characters and one of the first ones that you're introduced with, his name is Thomas, and he plays quite a role in this. All the other characters are kind of introduced later, but he's the first one that you meet, and he's quite disagreeable, I think, personally. Something is a little little strange about him. For me, personally, I didn't like his womanizing personality he kind of saw women as like a collect them all so i that's just kind of my opinion but maybe you will find a little more depth in him i think he plays a big role in this kind of unbearable lightness of being concept especially you see this in his relationship with the other character teresa Thomas is a big believer in this phrase that you'll you'll see throughout the book, and it's called Einmal ist keinmal. And it's a German phrase, and it means one occurrence is not significant. Or one occurrence is no occurrence, is a, maybe a more direct translation. The concept is a little more like if we only have one life to live, we might as well not have lived at all. So kind of an all or nothing sentiment. And there's another quote that Thomas says, there is no means of testing which decision is better because there's no basis for comparison. Basically, again, kind of conflicting with that eternal recurrence. Like if you, the concept that you could live your life over and over again and you should pick the choices that you would choose again. But what Thomas is saying is that there is no choosing again. We can't compare our choices. And so 
life is just about going in blind. But again, with that Einmal is Keinmal, he's saying, like, do my choices actually matter? Because my life is so insignificant that does one of my choices actually make a difference? I think with this Einmal is Keinmal outlook, he ends up pushing Teresa, who is the person that he loves, away. And he kind of completely uproots himself to find a new life. And by the end of the book, he learns a different outlook. But I think you should read the book for yourself in order to figure that one out. Thomas, uh, in contrast to Teresa, is a very forward-thinking person. He In the book, he's constantly overwhelmed by the possibilities of changing his life, and he's always itching for the next thing. And I kind of found myself relating to Thomas because very often I just get the itch to uproot everything in my life. And it's a very, I don't know, like, is it self-destructive or is it, I don't know, it just, it feels like for me, when I get this urge, it feels like I'm trying to run from something, but it can also be disguised as me wanting to go on to bigger and better things. But in the end, like, is anything actually bigger and better? Like Thomas, I have no basis for a comparison. I don't know if it's actually bigger or better. It just feels like I want to uproot and just leave everything to the dust And it's not very healthy, but I'm kind of working on it. On the other hand, Teresa is more connected to her past. I want to say she has that heavier feeling. She's kind of more bogged down. She reflects a lot about her past traumas, her fears, and her insecurities. I think she's very influenced by her mother. Um, Her mother is very conservative and I think Teresa feels a lot of shame especially about her body because of her mother because of that she feels very trapped and feels very defined by that trauma from her mother yeah so she kind of goes about life a little more conservatively she really wants to settle down something about Thomas is just like draws her to him But again, Thomas is a very different personality, very different character, completely different outlook on life. But Teresa, on the other hand, wants to settle down and be reassured consistently of her relationship. Despite Thomas being, you know, a womanizer, she still really wants to be with him. And I think what I want to say with these two characters is that I don't think that one life perspective is better than the other. However, it does change how both characters navigate life. So Teresa, more connected to her past and her traumas, it feels like she is kind of lagging behind of Thomas. She's very, you know, stuck in the past. Thomas is constantly thinking forward and wanting to go to the next thing. But I think what's important is that neither of them really live in the moment with those perspectives. So one is stuck in the past, one is stuck in the future. And so I couldn't tell you which one is better because both don't seem like the ideal way to go about things. And they both have their 
pros and cons, obviously. But what I think is really interesting and what the book kind of ties together with these two characters being in each other's lives is how interesting it is that despite their completely seemingly opposite points of views about life, they find their way to each other and also back to each other. And so to be together, they make some adjustments. I think the book really wants us to see how messy love is and how I think it's a little ridiculous that we romanticize about there being a perfect person for us, but that is simply not the case. And I think Thomas really tries to show that with even with his womanizing, which I absolutely hate. He shows that, you know, there's never one perfect person for you. However, he still finds his way back to Teresa despite it all. But yeah, I I don't know, like what is with the societal romanticizing about there being like a perfect person for us? I just don't think that exists. I think there are always going to be sacrifices that you'll have to make in order to be with a different person because honestly, I think it's a little narcissistic to believe that someone exists out there for us, that people don't exist for themselves. Because if you think about it, people are all living their different realities. Why would they be created perfect for you? I think it's a little bit of a toxic mindset and I think it keeps us from forming the connections that we want to form. So like Thomas and Teresa's relationship, love is absurd and it's so meaningless in like the grand scheme of things, but it's like there's so many people out there that we can match with and you just have to choose to love. But despite it all, I think it's very beautiful when two people are able to find each other and they find comfort in each other and they feel loved and they give love. The way that love can kind of consume your life and intertwine your life with someone else's life, I think is a very crazy concept. But I want to move on to discuss a more feminist approach to the concept of freedom. So after the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia in the book, you kind of see what it's like to live under constant surveillance. You know the feeling when someone, it just feels like someone's watching you. And that's the constant feeling that you get in the book. To live in like a surveillance state where someone is listening to you and watching you and you have to watch what you say, like, is that freedom? Like, what is what is freedom? Freedom doesn't feel like surveillance. So remember Teresa, who I was just talking about? There's another woman. This is the third character that I want to discuss. Her name is Sabina, and she very much contrasts Teresa. She almost reminds me a lot more like Thomas in the way that they navigate life very freely. They, yeah, they just kind of do what they feel like, but I think Sabina a little more so than Thomas. Sabina is very carefree. She has 
multiple partners and she travels a lot and she does art. She's kind of the stereotypical, like, free soul, the free-spirited artist who just, like, packs up and leaves whenever she wants to and, like, comes back whenever she wants to. She very much embraces her sexuality and, you know, she just drops partners whenever she feels like it. There's this aesthetic, it's another German word, it's called Kisch, that she really embodies. So kish is kind of a word taken out of a verb. Uh, the verb is kishen and it means like to coat or to smear. So kish means it's something that's thrown together. And the connotation is that it's trashy, it's tacky, it's cheap. It's everything that I think the rest of society doesn't want to affiliate themselves with. But Kish as like an aesthetic and a concept became kind of like a counterculture in like the age of surveillance state. That's her art too. It's reflected in her art. She just kind of smears and coats and throws paint onto her canvases. In I think current modern mainstream feminism, like Sabina has it all. Like seriously, she is living freely, she's traveling freely, she's expressing herself, she's having a lot of sex, doing whatever she wants. But I think what is interesting is that throughout the book, she's never truly content with her situation. Again, when I say like my constant urge to uproot everything and just move on to the next thing, I think that that is what Sabina feels and she's driven by that impulse of like I need to get the fuck out of here (laughs) that is her thought and she doesn't seem very happy or content in her situation ever my question is like is she actually free what does freedom look like in feminism like is it Women not shaving their pits? Is it wearing revealing clothes? Is it having casual sex? Is it the freedom to choose? I think it's been interesting that we have been equating sexual liberation to feminist liberation when personally I don't think they are the same. Just because Western women are able to have casual partners, I don't think that means that we have made progress in feminism. Another thing that I've noticed is just because white women are dominating the industry of, you know, capitalism, just because white women are dominating as CEOs, it doesn't mean that it's a step in the right direction for feminist liberation. I don't think that having more white women being millionaires and billionaires means that there's feminist progress, is what I'm trying to say. And I think as a culture, we've started to claim random ass things in the name of progress for feminism. And so I really do wonder sometimes, do we even know what we're fighting for? I think in a later episode, I want to rant a little more about these misconceptions of feminism, but maybe 
I should save that for a later date. The dichotomy of a relationship is very interesting to me because I have noticed that when we discuss relationships and marriages, if is termed in kind of like a loss of freedom sort of way. So I've heard phrases like, I trapped his ass, or I bagged her, I'm tied down. There's a contrast between the beginning of a relationship versus kind of later on when you're comfortable. It's like at the beginning of any sort of relationship or like dating someone, it's always, wow, I get the butterflies, or I feel like I could fly. But when the relationship gets old, it's a feeling of like, I'm settled down, or it's just like described as no longer having that feeling of lightness anymore, of freedom. Relationships, I think we can all agree, are very beautiful. Again, when two people connect out of just pure coincidence, it's crazy. But why is it that we also see it as a burden at the same time. Like in a relationship, what does freedom look like? I think it's weird that we phrase it as a burden because are you not still living your own life? Like it's still your your life, your perspective, your reality. You still have the freedom of choice, right? And I think to be in a relationship, it's not that you don't have a a choice, right? I think every day you wake up and the person that you're with, you are actively choosing that person over and over and over again. I think it's just something we should think about. Freedom is what you choose to do every single day. I want to read this quote. Um, It's from the book. It's a bit of a lengthy one, but hang in there with me. I think it sums up this whole concept very well. The heavier the burden, the closer our lives come to the earth, the more real and truthful they become. Conversely, the absolute absence of burden causes man to be lighter than air, to soar into heights, take leave of the earth in his earthly being, and become only half real, his movements as free as they are insignificant. What then shall we choose? Weight or lightness? When we want to give expression to a dramatic situation in our lives, we tend to use metaphors of heaviness. We say that something has become a great burden to us. We either bear the burden or fail and go down with it. We struggle with it, win or lose. And Sabina? What had come over her? Nothing. She had left a man because she felt like leaving him. Had he persecuted her? Had he tried to take revenge on her? No. Her drama was a drama not of heaviness, but of lightness. What fell to her lot was not the burden, but the unbearable lightness of being. Just to kind of sum everything up, I know this is a very short episode. What I came to the conclusion of was life is full of choices. There's so many choices that it's unbearable, yet we are free to choose. We are free to choose whatever we want to do. We're free to live however we want. Yes, you can argue, you know, traumas and past experiences and all all these things, but in the end, you choose whether or not you want to keep living the way that you want to live. 
and I'm saying this in a big metaphorical way, I think we do need to discuss kind of systematic ways that you may not be free and ways that we have been programmed and all these things. But I think ultimately living life is a choice. It is your choice. You make so many choices throughout the course of a day and then that's how your day goes. Because here I am sitting in my room doing my podcast, but I could also choose to be outside. I could also choose to go explore, you know, but I actively choose to hunker down in my room and watch anime because I have been really enjoying that. I've been choosing whatever I want to choose, and that's just how my day goes. I think we are also free to choose the world through whatever perspective. You're free to, you know, take my words to heart or don't. You're free to view me in a certain light or not. We're free to also attach whatever meaning we want to life. What does life mean to you? Is it the love that you feel? Is it the relationships that you create? Is it, is life meaningful when you have the things that you want? When you're safe? When your family's safe? Is it being able to buy whatever you want? Is it freedom to not have to pay a mortgage? And I think with all these choices and how sometimes we lock ourselves down and act like we don't have a choice in many things, if you really think about it and think about how many choices you have to make in your day, I think you'll see why being in your existence is actually so unbearably light. And we'll end it right there. I just really wanted to talk about this book in particular because the first time I read it, I just didn't quite understand it. And I think trying to record this episode made me really think back and try to draw out conclusions from it. So I think by processing this out loud, I actually gained a lot more from the book than if I were to just kind of let it be. And I think I might end up rereading it somewhere down the line. Yeah, bye. (laughs) 